Okay, welcome to the show. And with me today is Monica Burns. Monica, I consider one of the original EdTech evangelists. Uh, she's an educator, an author, a speaker, and an EdTech consultant. Uh, Monica, you and I have seen each other in person at events mm -hmm. uh, like ISTE and South by Southwest EDU. Um, you're always giving great advice for, for, for educators as well as education leaders for districts on, on how to use technology uh, during the BP years, which I call it the before pandemic years. Mm -hmm. um, so here we are on a Zoom call instead of being, you know, like in the Austin Convention Center at, at TCEA, <laughs> about to go out and have a nice lunch or, you know, just have a good in-person uh, catch-ups. But uh, thank you for taking the time to join me today. Well, I am very excited to be here with you today and appreciate that we have some of these virtual options for connections during this time. So I've had a lot of conversations uh, through this season and the season before talking with both education technology executives uh, in the industry side, as well as a lot of superintendents and, and tech directors um, on the education side at a leadership level. And usually what happens, especially in education journalism, we have a lot of people talking about the teachers, but never actually talking to the teachers. Um, thanks to you, I know that you have lots of interaction with teachers. Um, you can talk a lot about their experiences now from before the pandemic and what's happening during the pandemic. And I'm hoping in the next couple minutes we can get some ideas and insights on what to do after the pandemic, which mm -hmm. hopefully will be here sooner than later. But let's get started a little bit about your before pandemic years. I mean, what was... Mm -hmm. uh, education technology consulting like? Give us a little bit of your day-to-day your -day on how you are helping educators uh, come to use technologies. So I taught in a classroom setting for years, starting off with overhead projectors, you know, a chalk and a chalkboard, all that great thing, all those great stuff, um, transitioning into a more tech-infused or tech-friendly environment. But the past uh, Gosh, um, you know, coming up on six, seven years now, you know, I've been out of the classroom or in and out of the classroom doing this work with um, educators, so teachers, instructional coaches, school leaders, thinking about ways to thoughtfully, strategically integrate technology into classroom instruction. And, you know, using that term classroom instruction, we think of a physical space where we're all sitting together or grabbing an iPad from a cart or sharing a Chromebook screen screen and having a conversation as students are making and creating something, but now expanding that definition of the classroom to think about virtual spaces. So, you know, in the past, I was on the road a great deal of the time. So although this month already of February, I've been virtually working with educators in Florida. I've got some work in Georgia tomorrow. I was, you know, in Kentucky with air quotes, you know, yesterday, a lot of that would have been jumping around, you know, in an on-site to on-site to on-site spot, you know, running across airports and all of that. Um, and now in my role, I'm hosting virtual events or virtual professional development for educators. It's been very much a similar pattern of connections in different parts of the country, a couple international spots, um, but being able to bounce around in the same day uh, to a few different coasts and time zones. So that's an, an example maybe of um, a positive 
that um, you've been able to accelerate the number of people that, that you're, you're touching with your, with your work. Um, talk a little bit about the teachers that you have been working with. What's, what sort of positives have you seen um, them experiencing as a result of using stuff like Zoom? So one thing that I think has really changed significantly for teachers and, and all folks within this space is really changing the vocabulary around technology integration and conversations around it. You know, so although I've done webinars for years and years, if I had mentioned the possibility to someone of doing a webinar for 90 minutes or a follow-up session with a webinar after being on site, it would have been really hard for that person to wrap their head around what that would look like. Right. So, you know, now I think that's just, you know, one example, but even when talking with classroom teachers who are now thinking through, you know, what breakout rooms look like compared to small group instruction that they might have done in the past. When we talk about asynchronous learning experiences, it's really just a way to say this is self-paced and you're probably doing something like this if you had station rotations in your middle school classroom or you were designing some personalized pathways for students because you had different tiers or different groups and you were differentiating resources for them anyhow. So I think it's really building upon some general best practices, changing up some of our vocabulary to make sure we're on the same page in a digital world. And it's been, you know, wonderful having those conversations with educators that are finding some of those connections realizing that some best practices from the past might not be best practices in the future just because of the changing nature of all of the things. And so those kind of conversations have really elevated um, across all the folks that I'm working with. It's not just a few really passionate people in a school building that want to talk technology anymore. Um, everyone is using some of the same common language around, um, around these conversations. Yeah, it's funny. In some of the conversations with tech directors, they're all, they almost feel a little bit guilty in that they feel that, you know, this is what I've wanted to do for, for 10 years in terms of setting up remote learning, in terms of true one-to-one -one mm -hmm. experiences. And now, whether you like it or, whether you like it or not, it's, it's here. Uh, do you think it's going to stick around uh, in, in, a, in a general sense? So there's definitely pieces that I hope and think will stick around. I hosted a webinar yesterday um, where one of the things we talked about was avoiding nostalgia. Right, so it's really easy to go back into things in all parts of our lives, right? Um, including this, that are nostalgic and that feel like they must have been great because they were during a time that felt better um, for other reasons, and it just might not be the case. So, you know, I think that's one thing that I'm talking to folks about is there's definitely things we want to um, embrace when we're in in-person environments, but there's a lot of best practices now. You know, for example, having a central hub or space to get all of your information. Many schools have streamlined communication where individual educators who maybe didn't have any guidance on best practices for family communication, you know, chose a tool that fit their needs and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But now that all of these teachers, right, have different tools within one school building, right, for parent communication, some of that has been streamlined in a lot of places to make it easier for families to go and get information. So there's certain things like that that were just kind of natural pieces that go along with planning an initiative thoughtfully because we couldn't have planned 
thoughtfully, right, for this in February and March. Um, now with some of the reflection that's taken place, some of those issues, not everywhere, right, so I want to be careful to make generalizations in places where there's still a lot of frustration and a lot of very significant issues. Um, but that being said, there are definitely places where, you know, there have been very thoughtful conversations on tightening things up or streamlining things over the summertime, moving into the school year, because those practices are valued as, you know, forever practices, right, or things that we will do from now on, no matter what. Right. Now talk a little bit about how professional development itself has changed um, in, in years past. I mean, and reading your blog and reading your work, you know, there has been stuff that is pretty basic, pretty rudimentary. Here's how you do this. Uh, here's how to use mm -hmm. a Chromebook and here's how to use a tab and this and that. Has that accelerated at all? I mean, has, uh, would you say in a general sense that because of the pandemic that, I mean, this has been the greatest beta test in the history of education, right? The largest one in the history of education. There's very few people who don't at least know how to start a Zoom call and not have themselves look like a cat. Uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about how you, the content that you're sharing with teachers has changed, if it has. Yeah, so there's definitely not only just the content, but even the delivery, right, has changed significantly. So, you know, there's something really special, especially in my work, as I work with a lot of beginning teachers and intermediate teachers. Um, so folks that might have varying levels of confidence when it comes to technology integration. So there's something really special about standing next to someone as they're working through something and telling them it's going to be okay, <laughs> right? Like, take your time press the button, look, we made a movie, now you can maybe bring this into the work that you do with your students, right? So there's something very special about being in the same physical space as other people. So I don't want to make it seem like, um, you know, this jump to webinars kind of fixes anything or, or anything like that. You know, I, I, I hope that there's a hybrid model for professional development moving forward. Um, and so that's one piece. Um, the other piece would be, you know, from a ability for shorter um, in terms of time on a day. So instead of having a full day together, maybe having 90 minutes and being able to stretch that over um, a quarter or a month or a few weeks really allows people to dive in, come back, ask questions, share progress, and have some more of a deeper dive. You know, from a technology professional development standpoint, I, in the past, more often than not, was brought in for one day, right, for the technology day, so that we could learn how to use these devices and get some ideas, and then hopefully, you know, I would, of course, I have a pretty large social media presence, and um, the folks that I have visited, I always encourage them, like, send me a message, let me know how things are going, you know, so I do have some sense of of what that looks like in certain pockets of people who might send a tweet, but the ability to do a more strategic follow-up, even just from a budgeting perspective, right, taking travel out of the equation, I think, you know, it's been really exciting to have that become more of a regular part of my work. So, you know, for example, yesterday I led a session for a group of educators in Kentucky. So we are part of a six week series there and I was with them in the, in the summertime. Some of those folks have come back for this round. Some of them are new folks, but you know, it's familiar faces on the Zoom call where if I had gone there to do a one and a half day session, I might not be able to have that sort of relationship or build that sort of community with that group. So, you know, from a delivery standpoint, so many 
changes. And from a content standpoint, you know, I still work with a wide range of educators where there may be a group where I really have to talk them through where to go and find something or how to log into something. But more than in the past, for sure, you know, I can give a little bit of a quicker set of directions and then just kind of keep things open for anyone to ask a follow-up question. And people are able to navigate some spaces uh, with a little bit more fluency than in the past. So still a big variety, a big scale of where people are at with that. Um, but definitely those trends are ones that I've noticed. Okay. Now, a, a lot of folks who are, are watching and listening to this podcast work in the ed tech industry, right? And either in software or hardware companies, a lot of uh, executives, as well as I hope a lot of district leaders, uh, a lot of uh, tech directors, and folks who are on IT teams in districts. Now, as someone who speaks to so many teachers on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I'll ask you this favor, be the voice of those folks. So when you get off of the uh, of these webinars, what do you think they wanna communicate to the vendors on how, I don't know, they can improve their products or services, uh, and from the, from the, on the, on the leadership side of the districts, like how can districts help their teachers, uh, more than they are already doing now? Not that they're not, but, uh, you know, right. always room for improvement. Talk a little bit about that as the voice of the teacher. So I think the two big things would be to simplify and prioritize. So from an ed tech company perspective and development phases, keeping things simple, simple user interface, simple login for students. I think it's very hard to have a product right now that someone is trying to sell to a school that involves students having another username and another password. So if there isn't Google, Office 365, clever integration for that product, that's a barrier that seems like maybe it's not a big deal for someone who's not in a class Classroom, but that's a big barrier, whether you're working with 10th graders or first graders, um, just to add in that extra layer. So that's when we talk about simplifying from a product development standpoint, that's very much front of mind, keeping things simple. So we're removing the barriers for teachers, for students, and that goes along with um, keeping things simple in terms of navigating a space. So really leaning into popular icons. I should be able to tell how to record my voice when I open that up because I see an icon that looks like a microphone, right? I shouldn't have to go searching for something or wondering how some things like that's gonna work. And that might seem like, oh, well, it wouldn't be hard to figure out it might be hard for someone who's having a long day and working through a lot of challenges to have the brain space and brain power, you know, just that extra energy to go on that deep dive. They're going to toss that tool aside if it's an optional one. And the same thing goes if it's going to be challenging to onboard families and onboard um, students, that's going to be an issue too. And, and simplifying might also include, I know this isn't always the case everywhere, but making things smartphone or mobile friendly. So mobile mm. responsiveness is really important. I think at this point, I hope that it goes without saying that the accessibility component is there. Um, and that's something that I know teachers are becoming stronger advocates for because that might not have realized that someone needed something until now we're in this new environment. But even knowing that so many families and students might log in with cellular service or using a smartphone regardless of being issued a device. You know, that kind of for me goes underneath that simplification um, umbrella. And then from a school leadership perspective, it's really about, you know, prioritizing. We can, no one can do all the things, right? 
and, and making sure that there's a clear understanding of what the priorities and expectations are that are reasonable, that there's listening in, right? So what that might look like, we do weekly surveys. We have a weekly or biweekly town hall, right? Something that's gonna allow people to share so that's no surprises that something is being, you know, is something is challenging or hard. So that level of prioritization, I think is extremely important, especially now when there are a lot of bright and shiny things um, coming across different pathways. And sometimes that's with the best of intentions. We saw so many ed tech companies open up the doors to their tools for free, you know, in March and April with the best of intentions. And that is something where, you know, if we are kind of diving back and forth in different directions, it's really hard for anyone, especially someone who is, you know, may already be overwhelmed, not even just with a technology, but with just all the things, right, that go along with this um, particular environment that we are, are teaching and learning in. Those are some great uh, insights that uh, I'm going to use for some further conversations and to uh, hopefully push that in the industry because I agree. Uh, it was, um, you know, last spring, uh, the industry's pivot to assist schools was really mm -hmm. instrumental and I think really kind of Huge. a watersh watershed moment, right? Um, for, for a lot of companies, it was the first time, uh, and again, from reporting on this for years, we've ever had discussions about parents uh, being mm -hmm. involved in the use of technology, which is a huge thing, as well as the first time of an understanding of what social emotional learning really means, that we really needed to have to reach out to everyone uh, and, and think about it from a, from a perspective of empathy before anything else. So uh, I, I agree 100%. Maybe to wrap up, um, you could kind of give us your glass half full perspective that all things uh, being a best case scenario, uh, next fall being back to normal, whatever normal is, um, what do you see that best case scenario being when it comes to the continued use of things, uh, not only the synchronous technologies, but Zoom, but also all the tools that, that you talk about and that you see schools using from um, you know, curriculum to uh, other asynchronous type of te techniques that, that schools can use. So there's a few things that I really hope will will last or transfer or kind of get folded into what is happening um, in the fall in a best case scenario, one of which are uh, formative assessment routines. So really using technology to work smarter, not harder, to collect data, keep it organized and use that information. Um, that may also include giving kids different ways to share their learning. Um, I just posted a video on TikTok, which is a ridiculous thing to say out loud. <laughs> right, um, with um, a spotlight on Padlet and how all of the ways that you can use Padlet to get a student to share or post something right on a space. So that sort of rethinking of formative assessment routines that having that built in in a way that everyone can respond and share, I think, is one area I'm hoping to see maintained. It's happening now with tools like Flipgrid and, and many different ways. And then another piece, you know, I hope goes along with some of the things we talked about with the self-paced, right, or asynchronous piece. And that might be more of an experiential learning for certain students who might have something that feels like the way we would talk about independent study in the past. I'm um, having students go out and research and find things around passion projects that are rooted in more authenticity for them as learners. 
So I hope that some of those pieces in terms of, you know, the flexibility of what we think um, learning and classroom learning looks like um, will evolve a bit to involve, um, you know, more creative tools, giving kids more outlets for sharing, you know, and maybe moving away from some of the standardization of different um, tests and things that we think we need, um, but maybe it falls into those best practices are no longer best practices, right? Even if we want to fight about whether or not they were great beforehand, uh, let's just table that discussion and think forward to say, what are the best practices? This is now. Yeah. Well, Monica, I knew the toughest part of this uh, in, entire interview would be to stop it. There's there's so much to talk about. Uh, there's so many different aspects mm -hmm. to it, and and you're uh, you have so many different insights to each of those. Uh, we could go on for a long time, but I appreciate uh, the minutes you've been able to give us. Thank you so much for your time, and good luck with your continued uh, remote instruction. And hopefully, we'll see each other again in person soon. Thank you so much for having me today. And thanks for everybody for watching. Uh, be sure to click in for uh, next episode of EdTech Today.